You're tuned into Two Shades of Blue, a Carolina Blitz podcast featuring Royal and Terrence, two brothers from another mother who rep rival teams eight miles down Tobacco Road. Each week, Royal and Terrence will give their real and unbiased take on all Carolina sports and entertainment. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to Two Shades of Blue. My name is Royal Howell with Carolina Blitz and my co-host, Terrence Hatchett. He's going to be joining me to talk about Charlotte sports, including the Hornets and the Panthers. And then we're going to jump right into the big talk all around town, which is Joe Brady. Should he be getting a whole head coaching gig or are they just putting his name out there just for no reason? Like, does he have a case to be a head coaching, have a head coaching gig in the NFL? And then we're going to jump into the national championship game between Ohio State and Alabama tomorrow. So first, my name is Royal Howell. I've been writing for Blitz for about a month now. Um, my previous writing experience includes writing for Black Sports Online um, for about a year and a half. And I found a um, better reputation for myself for writing for the Blitz. It's a hometown, home state, um, supporting black writers, um, covering Carolina sports um, under Vashti Hurd. Um, Terrence, want you introduce yourself, man? All right. I'm Terrence Hatchett. I'm a lifelong uh, Hornets fan, Tar Heels fan, Panthers fan, all things Carolina sports. Um, I play basketball, coach basketball. Um, Matt Wright, me and Royal have coached for years together, AAU, high school, middle school, you name it, we've done it. Um, and yeah, I'm just uh, passionate about sports. Um, I don't I don't have any media experience yet, but I'm working on it. Um, but thankful for this opportunity uh, Royal Vashtar gave me, and I look forward to bringing the heat to the uh, podcast. This is Two Shades of Blue, and we're going to jump right into our first topic. So the big talk around town, the number three overall pick in last year's NBA draft, LaMelo Ball, who by a lot of people, some people think he didn't, you know, he wasn't going to be a first round pick, a lottery pick, but the case is in the pudding right now, man. This kid is going to be a flat out star for Charlotte. He's arguably the biggest name in the city of Charlotte right now. The kid is just putting on off the bench right now, which is unbelievable, where you have media personnel, media personalities who have all stated on several occasions within the last several weeks, including your own Stephen A. Smith from Winston-Salem, who stated just last night, he needs to be starting. Now, I see both sides of it. I see where he's coming off the bench, and I understand the whole rationale behind it with JB wanting him to get more accustomed to game speed in the NBA. Um, He's a rookie. Um, he wants him to not smell himself, which I understand. Um, he wants the bench to have some type of production because right now the kid is averaging 24 minutes off the bench, which the number three overall pick, in my opinion, should be getting more than 24 minutes. The kid should be started, man. Uh, what's your thoughts on the team? Well, first of all, let me say, on my timeline, the only thing hotter than LaMelo Ball right now is the Busset Challenge. <laughs> And if you don't want to bust a challenge, you need to get cultured. But anyways, um, I mean, LaMelo Ball is a star. He's going to be the biggest star this city's had since Cam Newton. Um, you know, 2019, City of Charlotte lost not only Kimba Walker, but we lost Cam Newton. So we've been searching for a star. And LaMelo Ball is, is that star. I mean, like you say, we got Stephen A. Smith talking about it, Rachel Nichols, um, Shams, I mean, everybody in the basketball community is talking about this kid. He's bringing more attention to the Hornets than we've had probably since um, when the team 
came back to Charlotte. I mean, he's just bringing that attention, and he has the game to back it up, and I have the stats to prove it. LaMelo Ball right now after 10 games is leading the team in player efficiency rating. He's third in scoring. He's averaging six rebounds and six assists. He's shooting 40, about 44% from the field, 35 from three. And like you say, in only about 24 minutes a game. And the thing about LaMelo Ball is that he doesn't have to score to impact the game. Friday night on ESPN with his, you know, the media watching, the eyes of the world watching him versus his brother, he didn't necessarily shoot the ball that well, but he still found a way to almost get a triple-double. And the thing about LaMelo Ball that surprised me is his rebounding ability. We knew that he was going to be a playmaker. We knew about his passing. We knew that he was a streaky shooter. But his ability to rebound has been really impressive so far. And also his ability to finish at the rim, being that he's 6'8", only 180 pounds. I mean, he's not the strongest guy. He's only 19 years old. He's going to develop into his grown man body as exactly. a game on the weight program. But he's already finished at the rim. Yesterday, it was one drive where he went right at Clint Capella, who was about seven feet, went right into his chest and finished right over Capella. That was impressive. The guy, he loves the game. Uh, after the game, uh, he was talking to Eric Collins, the Hornets uh, TV broadcaster, about what he's going to do in his off day. He said he's just going to go to the gym and work on his shot. I mean, the guy just loves the game of basketball. I think it was a slam dunk, and we need to give the front office credit. You know, we bash the Hornets front office when they mess up, and they messed up a lot. Absolutely. They messed up a lot. Starting with, starting with the contract situation. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Let me ask you about this. This has been the big discussion around Twitter, around social media. Should LaMelo Ball be starting right now? I think he should because here's why. Our starting lineup starts – we start the games off so slow. We start off behind the eight ball, and then LaMelo and Miles Bridges come in and uh, have to play from a deficit. I mean, we can't continue to start games off slowly. Um, you know, right now we're kind of in the mix, in the middle of the pack right now, you know, but we have a huge stretch of games coming up where we play, I think, like six games in nine days. Yep. You know, starting with last night's game, you know, this is an opportunity to maybe create some separation. You know, Jason Tatum just contracted COVID. You know, Kevin Durant's been out with contact tracing. You know, things are really kind of crazy around the NBA right now. And, you know, so far we haven't had any cases, fortunately. Hopefully that continues, knock on wood. Um, but if we can create some separation while teams are struggling with, you know, COVID and contact tracing, things like that, we could make a push for the playoffs this year. And I'll say this, you know, as far I think he should start, but if he doesn't start, LaMelo Ball will be the first player, I think, to not only win rookie of the year, but six man of the year as well, if he doesn't start. But I think he should start because our starting lineup is just missing something. That's smart. Our games are slow, man. Mm -hmm. And you can't continue to put guys on, you know, in the A ball, especially a rookie and LaMelo. And then, you know, Miles Bridges is in his third year. They're coming to the game, having to play in a deficit. And um, another thing on the horns real quick, you know, you talk about contracts, Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward's been good so far. He's averaging 21 a game. But sometimes it's like he just gets lost in the shuffle. Yes. Um, it was a game last week versus Philly. A lot of the Hornets Twitter, you know, mentioned it, that he had, like, decent stats, but he wasn't impactful. It's mm -hmm. kind of like empty numbers where you want a guy that's getting paid, like, $30 million to be the man. And then the next game was Atlanta. He was the man. He had 44 points, and then he followed it up with another 26 points against uh, New Orleans. But it's just real interesting to see what we're going to do with the starting lineups moving forward, some of the rotations. Some of the rotations, I'm not going to lie. I'll be shaking my head and questioning what the hell JB's doing. Mm -hmm. 
but we've been able to win these last couple of games after a slow start of the season. So let me ask you this. And speaking of Atlanta, so the Hornets knew, of course, they probably knew before the draft that LaMelo Ball can fall to the number three pick. And, you know, the guards, uh, Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham, they knew that, you know, ball coming to Charlotte, potentially somebody's spot is going to be taken. And right now, if you look at the numbers, Terry Rozier is averaging 31, you know, 31 minutes a game, 20 points a game. And Devontae Graham, I mean, arguably is having one of the biggest slumps in Charlotte history, man. I mean, if you look at the numbers, the numbers don't lie. He's getting 32 minutes, and he's averaging 10 points a game, shooting like, what, 26% from the field. Exactly. The numbers are abysmal. You have LaMelo Ball that's coming in, and, I mean, he's putting on the show. He's a straight star in the open court. Charlotte Hornets is must-watch TV right now. Exactly. I mean, when would you ever think to yourself that, hey, I got to get home and watch a preseason NBA game because LaMelo Ball is going to be putting on a complete show? Like, when can you – I mean, the Hornets haven't been this most relevant since Purple Shirt guy mocked D-Wade in game five of the, I think, what, the Eastern Conference? In yeah, Eastern playoffs of game six, yep. I'll, yeah, that, the I'll, Hornets haven't been there. relevant since. And, yep. I mean, to see, you know, to see what he's doing in City of Charlotte for the Hornets, I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, if he's going to be implemented into the starting lineup, is it inevitable that Devontae Ground is going to be put on the bench? I mean, what's your take on it? I mean – Here's the thing about Devontae Graham. Even last year, if you look at his numbers last year, he only shot about 38% from the field, 37 from three. The three-point percentage is good, but the overall field goal percentage wasn't good. Devontae, before this uh, shutdown, he had a major slump at the beginning of 2020. A lot of people don't remember. He was in a major funk. But the thing that kind of took away from Devontae Graham being in a funk was the you know Malik Monk, another guy that we will talk about another time. Um, he was playing some of his best basketball. Like He had 13. 30- 10 game stretch, he was averaging 17 a game, and he earned his first start, and then he got suspended. So that kind of took away the attention. His suspension took away from Graham's slump, and then Graham was kind of climbing out of it before the shutdown. But you know, you look at his numbers last year, he only shot 38% from the floor, and he, so far he's only shooting 26% from the floor, mm-hmm. still averaging six assists, so still making an impact. But if he doesn't shoot the ball better, I mean, it's kind of inevitable. Absolutely, absolutely. And right here we have our main man, Ben Redlinger, Charlotte's own, probably one of the biggest Panther fans I know around town, man. He's going to join us to talk a little bit of Carolina Panther football. Ben, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody today? How's it going, guys? I'm Ben Redlinger. Um, just want to say first off, thanks to both of you guys for having me on the show. Appreciate my Canadian brother. Absolutely. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Now, Ben and T, they're big, Horn- big Hornet fans, big Panther fans. I'm a big Steelers fan myself. Ben likes the Steelers as well. Um, but they're going to give a little bit of take on the Panther situation as far as Joe Brady name being mentioned around for head coaching gigs after the Panthers are what five and eleven. Five, what's, what's the Panthers record? Five and eleven. Five and yeah. eleven. We're going to talk a little Panthers starting right now because I mean, there's been plenty of hot takes around social media, around sports radio, and definitely on ESPN. I mean, the situation with Teddy B it speaks for itself. Uh, guys, let's th- let's start with Teddy B. Will Teddy Bridgewater be the starting quarterback for the Panthers next season? I think it all depends on who the GM is and what we decide to do in the draft. I am big on Justin Fields. I think if he's there at eight, we should take him. The Clemson game sold me. You know, he had some struggles this year. But the thing about that is Ohio State – 
they started their season in October. You know, like Alabama, some of the Clemson, some of the other teams, they started their seasons in September. Ohio State didn't start their season until the end of October, number one. Number two, they had a lot of pauses in contact tracing with COVID. They haven't really been in sync. So I think, and we'll talk about the national championship game later, I think uh, what we saw against Clemson was the first time we saw the real Ohio State this year. But it all depends on what we do in the draft. We could do a lot of things. I've seen the mock draft, uh, Kyle Pitts. Um, I've seen Patrick Sertan. Um, it just depends, honestly, what the GM has and, you know, what happens with Joe Brady. Because I think Joe Brady was the one that brought Teddy Bridgewater in from their ties to the New Orleans Saints. I don't know if Matt Rule – I don't know how much influence Joe Brady had on Matt Rule's decision to bring Teddy Bridgewater. But, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater had four guys – over a thousand yards from scrimmage, but only 15 touchdowns to show for it. And quite honestly, those 15 touchdowns are the most he's ever thrown for in a season. You know, a lot of guys talking about he led Minnesota to the playoffs, but let's just be real. He had 14 touchdowns and nine interceptions that year. That Minnesota team had a still prime Adrian Peterson and a loaded defense. He didn't really have to do much. And Tay Bridgewater, nice guy, you know, serviceable, but he had eight chances to, to lead us to a game-winning drop. Eight. And did he get it done? No. And the games that stick out to me were the Denver game on fourth and eight. He throws a two-yard check down. The Green Bay game. <laughs> the Green Bay game where he decided to ad-lib and try to dive over when Matt Rule said that they practiced not diving over. They clearly talked about it. He decided to do it anyway, fumbled. That turned the whole game around against Green Bay. And then the Minnesota game, I mean, D.J. Moore was wide up in the end zone and the ball was so bad that D.J. Moore almost tore his Achilles trying to catch that errant throw by Bridgewater that would have sealed the game as Minnesota. Um, so will Teddy Bridgewater be the starter? It's really up in the air. I know a lot of Panther fans wanted to draft a quarterback. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson wants to be traded by something. literally just saw something that came to my phone that said that Miami – is making a push. They will trade Tua and some picks for Deshaun Watson. So yes, that'll be interesting to see what happens with that situation. And, um, you know, also depends what happens with Joe Brady as well, because I think that Teddy Bridgewater is a Joe Brady guy. I don't necessarily think he's a Matt Rule guy. Uh, what do you think, Ben? Yeah, I mean, like, I definitely agree with you. I think a lot of it depends on who we bring in, um, you know, from the administrative side, as well as how the draft goes. I mean, personally – I'm always a fan of trying to strengthen our offensive line. Like I would love somehow if we were able to, if Sue L fall, fall to us or get someone like uh Rashawn Slater of North uh, Western, like, you know, getting a, a bedrock, uh, you know, piece of offensive line would be great, but also recognizing we can get some offensive line pieces through free agency as well. And given that we have such a high pick, I think that it would at this point, definitely, you know, depending who falls to us, be worth it to choose a quarterback and whether Brady is with us or not, I think probably for better or for worse, given the cap situation, unless we're able to find a trade partner for Bridgewater, we're probably going to have Teddy next year as our quarterback. So I think getting someone like a Fields fell to us, that would be great. But honestly, someone who I think is sort of on that same level as Fields, similar situation, even more so to what you're talking about, T, where he didn't, he only played one game last year, Trey Lance. I'm a big fan of Trey Lance. I think that he could definitely bring you know, those deep ball throws, that athleticism to be able to tuck and run. Uh, still definitely very raw, hasn't had, you know, that top, top competition against uh, better schools in college. But I really think he'd be someone in the ideal fit that, you know, given that in all likelihood, barring some kind of trade or something like that, Teddy will be back next year. 
that, you know, to get someone like a Trey Lance or Justin Fields to be, you know, waiting in the wings to learn a little bit, get the speed of the NFL, and then eventually take over. Kind of like the Tyrod Taylor, Justin Herbert situation before that was ended earlier than expected due to injury. I think that's probably a good situation to get a quarterback. But honestly, I mean, I agree that Teddy definitely struggled. And I think that he's, uh, you know, being honest, a middle of the road quarterback. I love Jake DeLone, but he kind of reminds me a lot of Jake DeLone. You know, he's sort of a guy that will just throw it up. Um, you know, but is he going to be a, a top tier quarterback? No, he's, he's not. I mean, better offensive line. I think he could certainly be better. He's got great weapons around him. And if you put Christian McCaffrey back, that can certainly change things as well. I think this season, given how many close losses we had, just look at that Chiefs game. We had Christian McCaffrey back for that game. We almost took the Chiefs, uh, you know, Super Bowl favorites, you know, all the way to the end there. So I definitely think, you know, next year with some different pieces in place, it could be better for Teddy having him around. But I agree. I think we do need to look for someone for the future. And, you know, I would say depending who falls, you know, offensive line or one of those top sort of, you know, realistically those top four quarterbacks, but we know Lawrence is going to be gone. So that next tier, those three, Wilson, Lance, and Fields, if one of those falls to us, I think we'll really seriously have to consider going after one. So speaking of offensive troubles and just troubles in general, who deserves most of the blame for the Panthers' struggle this year? I mean, is it some of them missing arguably the best running back in all of the football and Christian McCaffrey, or does it have to do with the offensive line or defensive struggles or – Teddy B struggles. I mean, where does majority of the blame belong? I mean, and you can throw Brady into there. I mean, it almost seems you can make a viable argument that Brady is going to be a scapegoat and he ends up leaving town, leaving Charlotte completely with all the head coaching and interviews that he's reportedly rumored to be getting. So, I mean, who deserves most of the blame for the Charlotte uh, Carolina Panthers right now? I mean, who deserves most of the blame? I'll, I'll go first, Ben. I think most of the blame goes to the guy that they just fired at GM, Marty Herney. A couple of questionable moves this offseason. One, letting Trey Turner go and bringing in Russell Okung. Uh, not re-signing Bradbury and then signing Shaq Thompson. And then the Teddy Bridgewater contract, three or $60 million. That's, a, you know, that's pretty good money for a guy that was a backup. And you know, people can say that he went 5-0 for New Orleans last year. But come on now, we just saw a fullback win some games for the quarterback with the Saints. Uh, Taysom Hill, he's a fullback playing quarterback, and he won – what, three out of four games that he started while Breeze was out? Like, you know, the Saints are a loaded roster, and we'll get to them a little bit later. Um, I got some things to say about the Saints, but. Is Teddy B being a victim of the his market value while with the Saints? So, as you said, 5-0, and oh, his market value was anywhere from, what, 12 to $15 million reportedly with a high up of, I think, $20 million, which it seems like the Panthers would have gave him, what, $60 million for three years. So they went yeah. up on the high end for him. So, is he a victim of the market value during his duration of time of playing for the Saints, going five and zero as a starter? Um, I think so. I, like I said, I think you know Teddy's Joe Brady's guy, and you know Joe Brady. I think he did some good things this year, but with all the hype that he came out at LSU, I expected a little bit more from Joe Brady. But let's just be real: that LSU offense was stacked. Yeah. You had Clyde Edwards-Helaire, first round pick. Jamar Chase is going to be a first round pick this year. Um, Justin Jefferson set the rookie record over the great Randy Moss for yards and touchdowns, I think, for a rookie in the season for the Vikings. Um, you got Thaddeus Moss. And, of course, number one pick, Joe Burrow, who played well before his injury. I mean, that LSU team was stacked. 
So it was easy for Joe Brady to look good in college. You know, where defenses in college are kind of optional at times. Um, it was easy for Joe Brady to look good. So Joe Brady had a lot of hype coming out of LSU. And I thought he did some good things uh, this year. But also there were some things where I just, you know, it's kind of like, hmm, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think part of it's like just the rebuilding year. You know, after losing so many huge franchise cornerstones, Cam Newton, Luke Keekley retiring, you've got Greg Olson finally moving on. I mean, you've got so many people that moved on from, from that, you know, during that championship window we had for the past few seasons. We always knew it was going to be a rebuilding year. And, I mean, I definitely wish we could have seen more, given how close some of those games were. It made it real tough because, you know, especially early season when we were three and two after losing those first two and bounced back with that Christian McCaffrey. It's like, can we actually, you know, maybe sneak into a wild card spot? Can we do something here? But I just think in the end, you know, just knowing that this is going to be a rebuild, the pieces weren't there. We didn't have the depth to, to really do too much more. And, you know, like I, I hope that Brady ends up staying around. You know, I understand why he's getting a lot of looks around, even despite the you know bad start with us last season record wise. He still has that, you know, reputation and that, um, you know, that that resume builder from when he was at LSU. A lot of people still remember that. Um, and I think that's getting him a lot of looks. Um, and I, I think, you know, just giving us time to actually get some of this dead money off our caps, we get some cap space and be able to bring in some more people will really help in the end, uh, you know, turn, turn things around. And like I said, I think for me, it starts with the offensive line. I mean, if you give, there's a lot of time where Teddy Mason throws where he had time and to just like, what, what's going on? Like, you know, just completely misses a guy. But then, you know, I'd say the majority of the time he was getting like one and a half, two seconds, and then, you know, trying to throw something up or get a lot of pressure in his face. And I mean, we saw Cam struggle with that when he was here. We had no offensive line to support Cam. And that's a lot of the reason why he struggled so much. I mean, like, no matter what quarterback you're bringing here, Justin Fields, heck, we could even, you know, we traded up and got Trevor Lawrence. We don't have an offensive line that could protect the person behind, uh, you know, throwing the ball. You know, we're going to face the same troubles every single year. So speaking of offensive troubles and Joe Brady, um, this week I put a piece out that pretty much got my blood boiling that I felt like, you know, people were being stereotypical and prejudiced and showing their biases throughout the media um, there was a writer named Benjamin Albright who I usually don't try to speak on black and white issues, but in my opinion, there was no gray area in between this. Um, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Bohemi, who just fresh off a of Super Bowl, 14-2 record this year, 12-4 and last year. He's lost six games in two years. He's under the Andy Reid coaching tree. And the biggest talk that's been around Twitter and social media has been specifically a tweet for, by Benjamin Albright, which stated – the offense is Andy Reid and always has been. Can he say, doesn't even call the plays. Can I say something real quick? Absolutely. So all this about who's calling the plays, did they say this about Doug Peterson? Because Doug Peterson's an Andy Reid guy, right? Yes. And that turned out pretty well for Philadelphia. They won a Super Bowl. And they went to the playoffs um, two years afterwards. You know, they Philly had a bad year this year. We can get into that you know, another day. But, I mean, were these questions asked about Doug Peterson when he took the Eagles job? Were the questions asked about Sean McDermott? Were the questions asked about John Harbaugh, Matt Daggy? But as you mentioned, Doug, John Harbaugh is a special teams coach. Yeah, exactly. Ron Rivera. People forget Ron Rivera. I mean, do you want me Pat Shermer? Were these same questions asked like they are being asked for Eric Bahimi? And it's almost as if they almost look to dig dirt, go in their past, 
How in the hell can you come out your damn mouth and come out and say that? He doesn't call the plays when your own star quarterback, Pat Mahomes, who signed the biggest contract in NFL history, gave high praises for Eric Bohemi to get the Texas, the Texas job with Deshaun Watson. He vouched for him to get the job, and he couldn't even get a damn interview. Are you kidding me? He couldn't get an interview. Fresh off a Super Bowl, but they want to bring up his college resume from college about being called the N-word and him retaliating and getting into altercation or DUI charge. I mean, I understand the DUI. It's a serious offense. I'm not knocking it off whatsoever, but – Hell, people well, in the NFL have gotten jobs for way worse than DUIs. That's – How many other okay. Dolphins. Remember the Dolphins situation? Like, should I keep going? I mean, is it the color of the skin that's keeping Eric Bohemi – and this is for Ben. Is, is the color of his skin keeping him from getting a gig, or is it really – true validation in regards to him not interviewing well or inter- what's the word he say interviewing strong enough for the job what's your uh, take i think he, he absolutely has should have been a head coach last year with the openings i think when we were looking for a head coach with matt rule and the enemy as, as the two you know candidates that were really talked up those were my personal top two you know because he just he's, he's the offensive coordinator for the best offense in the league one of the best the nfl has ever seen and you're telling me that he can't, number one, you know, get a head coach, get a lot of head coaching interviews, get all this like, you know, negative talk about after the interviews. And number two, actually get a gig. I mean, like he should, he should have been a coach last year. If he's not a coach at the end of this year, it'll just be an utter disgrace. I mean, the man has more than proved his worth. He has, you know, shown me he can do on the field. We can do off the field. His players love him. It's not like his players, like, you know, don't support him. Like, you know, Patrick Mahomes is, is texting people trying to, you know, help things out. They, everyone thought last year they were saying goodbye to him because they assumed, like, oh, there's no way that he it's is not going to go somewhere. Yep. It, it's just ridiculous. Yep. April Fools. Like, 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 what are we waiting on? What? I just, I really don't understand it. Sometimes I feel like people go over and beyond out their way to make false claims. I mean, that stuff should be belittling someone's personality and his human right to be a coach based on the color of skin, in my opinion, I feel like it's just, it's blasphemous almost. It's, it's, it's a shame because I feel like if he was Caucasian or of another ethnicity, we wouldn't be going through, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Fresh off a of Super Bowl, nine times out of 10, if he was Caucasian, no, no offense, Ben, if he was Caucasian, he would have had a head coaching gig somewhere else. 14 and two this year, 12 and four last year, won a Super Bowl, Nine times on the team, how many chances is an offensive coordinator going to return to that job when he's been offered six or seven other gigs for head coaching spots for other franchises? I mean, it's it's almost unheard of. It's, it's almost unheard of. Even like good offenses, like you said, if they make the Super Bowl. Yeah. Those offensive coordinators will usually end up getting a head coaching gig just because they're like, oh, they're in part of success will get in the Super Bowl. It's not even like they're even like a great offense a lot of the time. But, I mean, this man is behind one of the best offenses we've seen in years, you know, if not one of the best all time. And, you know, they would talk about how, you know, him and Andy Reid get together and just come up with these, like, you know, exotic, you know, off-the-wall play calls and everything. I mean, like, how, why would you not want that as part of your team? It's, it's beyond me. I mean, he, he has to be a head coach somewhere this year or, I mean, it just like I said, it'll be a disgrace. I mean, another thing is people forget if it wasn't for offsides penalty against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and their last stand with you know in New England together, the Chiefs are probably back to back going for their third Super Bowl this year. And that year, Patrick Mahomes won the MVP. What he throw for like fifty touchdowns that year? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So three years in a row, 
because people forget, yeah, the Chiefs were 12 and 4 last year, but Mahomes was injured and they were able to steady the course and then, you know, win the Super Bowl. And then this year they went, what, 15 and 1, 14 and 2? Uh, they probably lost their last game and, you know, they already had home field clinch. You know, who cares? But he's done it three years in a row. You know, this is par for course of the NFL. Um, not to get off topic, but it was a tweet from one of the top sports agents talking about how, you know, all the, it was a black guy and then a black lady talking about how they try to get white players to be their clients. They push hard, but they don't, the white players in the NFL don't sign them. They sign with, you know, white agents or, you know, whatever. Even, and then somebody asked, well, how come have you tried to get any white people? He's like, of course, all the time. But for some reason, they don't get them. I mean, this is just the culture in the NFL. It starts from the ownership and, you know, coaching, general management. I mean, the NFL, this is nothing new. You know, the Rooney Rule is a joke. I mean. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. And I think the NFL, if I'm not mistaken, I believe is 70% black generate billions and billions of dollars. We have, I think, three black GMs right now, two black head coaches and Brian Flores and Mike Tomlin. Uh, your boy just got fired from the Chargers. Um, yeah, I mean, what? How, how, how many years was he with the Chargers? What, one a year? How many years has he been with the Chargers? He's been there. He had a couple of years, I think like three years or four years with the Chargers. He took him to the playoffs one year. Um you know, I just think the lack of diversity from the head coaching and GM spots within the NFL, which is 70% predominantly black, is a disgrace. It's a disgrace and it's a joke. And for you to sit there and shadow with the Rooney Rule, which it only allows you to interview minorities for potential gigs. It's not like it's a guaranteed, oh, I'm going to be the spot. But Hemi had, what, six or seven interviews last offseason after a Super Bowl and didn't get one job. But we're sitting here talking about – Brady going 5'11", showing flashes all potential for head coaching gigs. I mean, just think about it. Is that rational? Just, just think about it for a second. He's 5'11". Imagine if he was black. Let's just call, let's call, call a spade a spade. If he was black and went 5'11", he would be on the hot seat right now. We'll be having discussions about this on First Take and uh, any kind of sports show, sports radio, about him being on the hot seat and being fired. I mean, let's just exactly. call it. I'm not trying to make this a black and white issue, but at the end of the day, unlike in contrary to what Benjamin Albright said, which is not about race. In some aspect, as always, it is about race. I mean. I'm going to say something real quick, man. So I know y'all watch The Wire. Y'all know who Clay Davis is. He has a famous saying. So let's just keep it real. If Joe Brady was black after being 5-11, and 11, you think he'll be getting a job? Shit. <laughs> no, damn well he ain't getting no job. Or any all, all these interviews and consideration for coaching jobs. Shit. Like, come on now. Fellas, I know we didn't we didn't stick up a lot of the time. We got about two minutes left for the Zoom, but let me ask you this. Give me your picks for today's games and uh give me your national championship for tomorrow's college football between um, Ohio State and Alabama. So I'll go first. Um I got Baltimore. Lamar Jackson needs this win badly. He needs it badly. Yeah. All the pressures on Lamar, I get it done today. I have the Saints, even though they want to dance and do their little fog because they beat the Carolina Panthers and swept the sorry NFC South this year. Don't even get me started. Trust me. If the Saints lose. Oh, it's going to be hell. Fan, don't listen to me next week. I got heat for y'all next week. If y'all lose to Mitch Trubisky, so I'm going to go with New Orleans. And then I'm going with Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, Cleveland, they might compete. But, you know, not having practice and not having their coach down there is going to be detrimental to them. 
Um, as far as the college football national championship game, I'm going to go with Alabama, but I have some couple keys to the game. One, can Ohio State run the football because Bama only gives up three yards of carry? Um, mm. Can they protect Justin Fields after the injury? And can they contain Devontae Smith? And also, uh, I think Najee Harris is going to be huge for Bama as well. So I'm going with Alabama um, over Ohio State. I just think they're going to um, win the battle in the trenches, and I think they're a little bit better defensively in Ohio State. I think it's going to be a, a high-scoring game, but I got Bama by 10, about 40 to 30. I think Ohio State will score, but they're not going to be able to score enough. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Bama's going to win. I mean, you saw Harris jumping over defenders you know, in the semifinal game. I think he's going to keep on that same course and have a huge game. Same with Smith. I, I think there's too many weapons in Alabama, you know, for them not to take over Ohio State. It'll be a good game, I agree, but I think at the end, Alabama just has too much. Saints, uh, as much as I love the Bears to beat them, I agree. I think the Saints want to move on to the next round. Um, Baltimore and Tennessee, I I love Lamar Jackson, huge fan of him. Love uh, J.K. Dobbins, especially the running back there, really starting to, you know, pick up a lot of steam. But those Titans are tough, man. I mean, last year we saw like their team, especially with Derrick Henry, that just sort of just keeps on moving through. And A.J. Brown really coming to his own as well. Tannehill has been really underrated and really doing well as well. I think the Titans, you know, surprised the Ravens and, and ended up beating the Ravens uh, this round. Um, and then Steelers, uh, Browns, I mean, come, come on. Do we really think the Browns are going to beat the Steelers? I mean, let's just be honest here. I mean, you had, they had their fun. They were able to beat the Steelers with, you know, the second and third stringers in there. I mean, they didn't put Duck in this time, but they put, you know, put Rudolph, whatever, in the game. Steelers with their starters are going to, you know, take over the Browns. I think it'll be a little closer than some of the other games, but Steelers aren't losing the Browns. <laughs> I think my only concern, and, you know, I love my Steelers, my only concern is us not having Joe Hayden today who – uh, did indeed test positive from being around a social gathering with Eric Ebron, who ironically is playing today, who have, was cleared yesterday, but Eric Ebron is playing today, and Joe Hayden's not playing today, which I don't know how that works. I don't know how the contact tracing works, but he tested positive. Ebron didn't. So however, case, however the hell it happened, it happened. We won't have Joe Hayden today. I think that will be a little cause for concern for me, but we get to go younger with bringing Hilton back in action um, I can't remember the other young guy, other young gun we have, but my main concern is the defense line getting pressure on Baker. You got to get pressure on him, which I think TJ Watt's gonna have a phenomenal game. Um, like I said, we have the starters. The starters are playing today. Um, I don't necessarily like Juju given the Browns bulletin board material. I mean, because you know, at the end of the day, it's the playoffs. Anything can happen. The Browns haven't won a playoff game, and since I can't remember how many years. I mean, it's been a while. This is their first appearance. It seems like twenty plus years. You don't want to give a team bulletin board material, even if it's at home. Our run game is my biggest concern. In playoff football, you have to have a run game, and the Pittsburgh Steelers are just non-existent when it comes to running the football. I don't like seeing Ben, who's approaching the age of 40, I believe he's 38 years old, throwing the ball 40 times a game. But if you have to do it, you got to do what you got to do. As far as the Ravens and Titans, like I said before, you got to have a run game to advance in the playoffs. Both teams can run the football. I think the deciding factor will be – keeping Lamar Jackson in the pocket, which the Titans can do, but their defense has been suck at, um, suspect in the secondary at times. Um, Derrick Henry starts the game off slow as usual, but he usually picks up steam throughout the action. And I think that uh, at the end of the day, I think they could upset the Ravens. Um, I like that to be a close game, like maybe like a 31-28. I think points will be put up on the board. And the Saints and Browns, 
I want the – I mean, I'm sorry, the Saints and Bears. I want the Saints to win just because uh, the deeper you go, the harder it hurts. And I believe that yes. – uh, I believe you can you can play a Bank of America song like they did last weekend <laughs> after beating the brakes off the Panthers. But, I mean, like at the end of the day, the further you go – the more it hurts. Always remember that. And they always lose in yep. the worst way. It always, it always cuts deeper. Always. There's the pass interference again in yeah. like the NFC Championship game. I don't think I'll be able to stop laughing for a week. Like, oh, oh my God, that was epic. I remember, I'll never forget a couple years ago, I went to the Monday night football game where the Saints played uh, the Panthers on Monday night. And they're like, oh, this is our year. This is our year. I remember I told the Saints fan, I'm like, look, y'all better win because if y'all don't, Y'all better might as well just stay off social media. And what happened? The pass interference call the year after the Stefan Diggs catch. I mean, the beast quake. I mean, we can go on and on and on. The Vernon Davis catch. They always find a way to lose the worst. I mean, last year they lost to Kirk Cousins. For, yeah, like, come on now. They got weapons. Like, you get Emmanuel Sanders in free agency. You have Michael Thomas, who yet, of course, he's been banged up this year. You get Kamara back, who's been banged up. But Breeze, in my opinion, has looked god-awful this year. I mean, he's shown his age for sure. I believe he may – if they win it, this would be his last year for sure, which I know they're not going to win it. I believe at the end of the day it's still going to be Pat Mahomes having some discussion about that. But I think that you have too many weapons on the offense to just be mediocre. I mean, you you went 12-4 this year. The main concern has been staying healthy. Can they stay healthy? If they can stay healthy, they're going to make noise. But like I said, the deeper you go, the more it hurts. And it sounds like – <laughs> their team is stacked, man. Yeah. Like, let's just, you know, all trolling aside, all Saints hate aside, their team is stacked. I just don't think Drew Brees yeah. will be good enough to either beat Aaron Rodgers and Lambeau. No way. Because you have to be able to push the ball down the field. And we saw their times of the last year where Brees' arm just looks like he just has a, a new, new arm. He has basically. a new arm like Peyton Manning did at the end of his career. And honestly, yeah. if they if they do win this week and they play Tampa Bay next week, I'm taking Tampa Bay. Yeah. Over New Orleans, it'll be, it'll it's hard to be a team. Signs of slowing down, like you saw last night. I mean, he can still sling it. I don't know what he's doing. You know, eating those you know no nightshade vegetables and everything. But I mean, the man is just you know can't won't stop. It's just like at some point you expect something to see like Breeze, where it's like losing some velocity, but somehow yoga, you know, some kind of I don't know acupuncture, whatever he's doing, it's working. Yeah, All right, everybody. I think uh, playoff football. Oh, my fault. Oh, well, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying, I, I, in playoff football, you said you have to be able to run the ball and make those throws down the field. And um, quite honestly, Breeze just can't throw the. I mean, it takes everything in his body to push the ball down the field. I just don't think he can do it consistently to really get to the Super Bowl or even win a Super Bowl. Um, I'd rather. I think Green Bay or Tampa Bay is coming out of the NFC. It'll be interesting. Uh, I just don't think New Orleans, at the end of the day, has enough down the field vertical passing game to advance deep in the playoffs. And yeah, that's that, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, everyone, that concludes our Two Shades of Blue first official debut today with me uh, and Terrence Hatcher as the co host and our special guest, Big Ben Ridley from Raleigh, North Carolina. Man, we appreciate everyone staying tuned. Um, we will start getting this show going on Sunday probably post them by monday so you know stay tuned for the two shades of blue and um thank everyone for staying tuned today man we appreciate you appreciate y'all